Happy Mother's Day. Would you give a hand to all of our moms and all of our campuses today? About this time, about 10 years ago, I was doing a series called FAQ, called Frequently Asked Questions, where we let the congregation submit questions. And I fielded the questions and, and then talked on that subject. And I thought that the congregation would be really sweet and kind and throw a few softballs, uh, you know, with a 10-foot arc over the uh, plate for me to hit. And, and the very first question I read on a 3 by 5 index card screamed at me in the face. And the question was, how come I've been in church my whole life and have never heard one sermon on orphan care? even though the Bible speaks about God's heart for the fatherless over and over and over. That was the first question I read. And I laid it aside, and I thought, we're not dealing with that one. And we'll pick another one, but something happened inside of me within a few minutes of reading that question. So I went to my shelf, and I took out a brand-new Bible that had never been opened. And in the next 90 days, I read the whole thing, marking every passage of Scripture that dealt with God's heart uh, for the fatherless and, and for the orphaned. And, and God did a work in my heart. And out of that experience, he, uh, he birthed a passion in me for the orphaned and the vulnerable uh, children in our world. And as a church, we've now been on this journey of advocacy for 10 years. And, and today, we have some very special guests that, that are going to share your, their journey with you. But before I bring them up, I want to tell you that one of the things that I love absolutely about the church at churches is your heart. I love your heart. And whenever we present a need, whenever we present an opportunity, whenever we present a mission, you always respond. And you always respond in powerful, powerful ways. In fact, last Sunday, we, we talked about the refugee crisis in the world and thousands of kits prepared and sent over by you and your children. A thousand of you stepped up and went through the refugee experience. And, and that's the way it's been from the very beginning. Just anytime we present something, you respond. And that's the heart of this series. Uh, rise up and, and that we would rise up together. And, and that happened years ago when we launched the Adopted Ministry, encouraging churches. And we've taught dozens and dozens and dozens of churches and ministries how to do orphan care and how to find their niche in, in orphan care. And hundreds of you in that initial call uh, stepped up to the plate and you followed through with adoption and you followed through with foster care. And, and thousands of you, not only uh, you, you didn't foster, you didn't adopt, but you help those who foster and you help those who adopt and you support them and, and you become respite care uh, individuals so that they can have a babysitter and a night out uh, but you have to be certified in order to be that babysitter, and you've gone through that to the degree that DHS has held most of their trainings here on one of our campuses because 99% of the people who participate are you. And that's exciting. Uh, on a regular basis, I get calls from DHS saying, what are y'all doing in that place? But, and I said, what do you mean? And they said, your people bring gifts and they bring flowers and they show up to court and, and they serve uh, to testify on behalf of children. And, and the adopted ministry, I just want to say to you, it's been one of the things that I'm most proud of in our short history uh, of a church. And it certainly has given us a platform beyond the four walls of, of our campuses. And I want to begin today by asking you this question, okay? Every single campus, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you are adopted? W would you just raise your hand and let me see it, okay? How many of you are, are adopted? Slip it up high uh, so I can see it, okay? And so there, there are a few hands. Now, I want to quote to you a passage of Scripture 
out of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. And I want you to listen to this passage. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, listen, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Let me ask the question again. How many of you are adopted? Would you just slip your hand up? And see, if there hadn't been thousands of hands go up there, I'd just flip over to John 3, 16 and just start preaching uh, that, that passage to you today. But, but that's one of the things that this study and the creation of the adopted ministry has done for us. It's revealed the very heart of God to us. And we used to think that adoption was plan B and, or, or the last resort for infertility. And we used to think of it as something great that we did for, for vulnerable children. But adoption was never God's plan B. It was always plan A. From the beginning of time, he knew that we needed adoption. And, and look at the next verse in that passage in Galatians uh, verse 6. It says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father. So interesting, isn't it? That's the Aramaic word, not for father, but for daddy. That when we come into God's family, it's family. And it's not just that we're justified. And it's not just that we're made right with God. And it's not just that we're made whole before God. And it's not just that our sins are forgiven and our slate is wiped clean. We are adopted. And he is our father, and it's not just a father, he is our daddy. And there is intimacy in this relationship with our heavenly daddy. And we have this brand new relationship with God through adoption. And it creates the most intimate of all relationships that we get to call him daddy. He says in his word, he is the father to the fatherless. And I want you to know today, God loves all the children of the world. And when a child becomes an orphan, God Almighty looks at that child and says, I will be your daddy. I will be your daddy. I will take on that role in your life. I will be your father. And he steps in and he plays that role in that child's life. And how does he care for that child long term? According to his word, he places the lonely in families. That's what he does. And that's how he does it. You've heard the phrase, They just slip through the cracks. That's a phrase that plagues the foster care community, that they just slip through the cracks, that when you think of the 19,000 kids a year, 19,000 that age out of the system of foster care, and they grew up, and they were never adopted. And the word that the government, or the phrase that the government puts on that is, well, they just fell through the cracks. Listen, when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, we cannot use that phrase, because it is not accurate. They did not just fall through some proverbial crack. What happened is they fell through the very fingers of the bride of Christ. If he is the father to the fatherless and he has a bride and his bride is the church, he gives these children to his bride. And when they fall through the cracks, they fall through our fingers, our fingers. And and on Mother's Day, I want you to think of the church a little bit differently today. If he's the father to the fatherless and he has a spouse and his spouse is the bride of Christ, 
that's us, right? We're the bride of Christ. And so I want to look at all of you today and to the church of Jesus, and I want to say happy Mother's Day today because you are the mothers. And for all the orphans in the world, they are our children according to God and according to the very heart of God. And as the bride of Christ, they're ours. For he's their father and we are his bride, the church. And so we're the ones to hold them. We're the ones to care for them. We're the ones to see what God is doing in their lives and speak it over them. And no child is to fall through the cracks because they are loved deeply by God and by their heavenly father. And that's just a little bit of the heart of God. And it's a little bit of the heart of this church, and it's certainly the heart of the adopted ministry uh, that we started 10 years ago. And I just want to tell you, I love you today on Mother's Day. I want to introduce to you the Robertson family. Ladies, if you would come. And, and uh, today, uh, we have the privilege of hearing from four generations of Robertson women uh, at our churches today. When I walked in the green room today, I thought, there's a lot of estrogen in here. And so let me uh, welcome them. We're going to get them mics, and they're gonna, some of them are going to have to share a mic or two. And so let me just start on, on this end, and, and it helps me if I do all this in relation to Corey, okay? So that'll maybe help you too. C Corey uh, is mama, but this is Corey's grandmother, uh, Mama Joe. And, and we welcome you today. This is Corey's mother, Chris and commonly known or affectionately, to mama is what, what I heard them call her. And to papa is uh, papa. This is Corey, Sadie, Bella, and Rebecca. Okay, so welcome all of these uh, ladies here today. I think and, this is the first time we've done this. Well, This is the first time it's been all of the ladies. We left the men at home and came on out, and we are really honored to be here. Thank you for inviting us. What are they doing today? Actually, Willie is speaking at our church at home, okay. and I made a little video to, um, to play there, and he's got the boys, I think, reading verses and all that, so I'm excited to hear how that all goes, too. Someone's filming it for me, so I get to okay. see that, all right. too. Well, good. So, Corey, you and I have talked several times. She, she was gracious enough to co-author with me the adopted ebook that was released last week. If you've not read it, you need to read it, and you need to pay attention. You need to distribute it as well, but as we've talked a couple of times... This is a phrase you've used. It started with hospitality. In fact, we used the word last week, hospitality, when we talked about several scriptures, and it comes from two words, love the stranger. But that's the phrase you used about the culture your mom set right. and welcoming it. Tell us about that. So that's why I'm so excited that mom and mama are here because it, is, it did start with them, and that's how I learned it. And um, So we call two mama, two mama, because she is like a second mama to our children. Whenever um, I was pregnant with Sadie, I had premature labor, so I was on bed rest for a little while. So John Luke stayed with mom a lot, and she was just always there for us. And so um, after Sadie was born one day, she, um, John Luke said, I want, I would call, I would say, oh, I have two babies now. And John Luke said, I want mama. He would call her mama too. And I was like, here's, I, I'm mama. Mama's here. He said, no, two mama. And so it just stuck, and she became two mama. And now she's like two mama to like everyone at our church. Like everyone calls her two mama. But that's because her spirit has been that way. And um, growing up, we had people living with us. We had an extra bedroom that was never empty. There was always someone living there. And it was um, single moms who had come out of abusive situations with their kids. And so I got to be a, a like a little second mom to these little kids that wow. lived in our home. It was teenagers who 
were in, came out of troubled homes. It was families who maybe they were just in transition and needed a home to live in. And so our all, home was just always open to that. And I, I asked my dad to, to do a count one time when I started kind of speaking about this. I said, how many people do you think lived with us growing up? And he counted and he said, 81 people have lived in my parents' home. And he said he only counted people who had lived there six weeks or longer. So not just meaning someone who came for a weekend. These are people who lived with them for six weeks or longer in the 40, how many years have y'all been married? 46 years they've been married. They've had 80, over 81 people living in their home. And so mom, tell why, why did you do that? Why did we, we always have someone living with us? I don't know if there's an answer to why, but my heart was so blessed this year. John Luke, our oldest grandson, is at Liberty, and he called me one day, and he said, well, two mama, we've moved our first couple in with us. They have a little tiny log cabin with no spare bedroom, but they put them down in the basement, and they lived with them the whole semester, and I remember the first person who lived with us, we were away at college, and we had an extra bedroom in our trailer, and they lived with us in our trailer, so I, I, I guess um, John Luke's well on his way to the 80-something people <laughs> living with him. But again, I have to say, this comes from my mother and dad, who there were six kids in our family and I had a grandparent that always lived with us, so our house was very full. Um, we, of course, during those times, you didn't have extra bedrooms. My three brothers shared one room. Uh, all three of our girls were in one room, and my grandmother had a room. My parents had a room. Still we kept people who came through all the time and the door was always open and mom was always cooking. And so that sense of hospitality just was handed down from mom to us and, and now of course to Corey and to John Luke and our, our grandchildren. And we're just so grateful to be a part of, of that world of being able to welcome people into our home and share what God has blessed us with. And we've always felt like what we have is just God's anyway. And so however he wants to use it, we're just going to open the door and let him use it. Wow. That's incredible. That's, that's how they look so young. You want to, ladies, you want to know how to look so young. You welcome people into your home because they look like sisters, all of them sitting up here. Uh, so Corey, tell us the story. You shared it with me down in Dallas how you and Willie decided to pursue adoption. So my senior year of high school, I, was, um, I went to a, a Christian school, and it's the one that our kids go to now. And um, our Bible teacher, my Bible teacher that year, um, had adopted a little boy, and um, a little, like, four- or five-year-old boy, and he was the cutest thing I'd ever seen. I just remember it just felt like that's all the teacher talked about that year. He was just really on his soapbox about how important it is for Christians to take care of orphans and that that's God's heart. And he talked about it that whole year, and I just was really convicted. And Willie and I got married at 18 and 19, so we were dating um, my senior year. I was 17 years old, and I told my parents we were going to get married, and they were like, uh, who? You're going to get married at 17? But, um, and so, I, um, but we were dating, and I told Willie, I, you know, I really would love to, you know, think that I want to adopt. That's something that is really important to me. And he was like, absolutely. He didn't question it. He didn't have a, a, a thought or a fear. His family was similar to mine. Well, very different to mine. If you've watched the show, his family was very different than mine. Uh, as a matter of fact, whenever I, um, whenever we told my parents, you know, we were going to get married, they, you know, kind of had the list of things to go through of like why that probably wasn't a good idea at 17. And when we told Phil, he said, we can get married in Arkansas at 16. What are you waiting on? 
He was no help at all, trust us. That shows you a little bit of the difference between our families, but they were similar in the way of hospitality. They um, didn't have an extra bedroom, but they had a couch that someone was always sleeping on, and they always had somebody that was staying with them, always had people down there, and so they were, um, that was one way that we were similar. <laughs> our families were similar. So talk about how, you, how did you decide that? So the, the Bible teacher, when you were, how old did you say you were? 17. 17 years mm -hmm. old adopted a child yes so that's the first time you saw that um in our church you know we, i guess we had a lot of i've seen foster kids and we had you know an adoption i, I knew and it was around it for sure and i'd always but i guess that was when it kind of like became like implanted on my heart like mm -hmm. this is something i have to do yeah you so know? somebody you knew somebody you loved, somebody you respected right. adopted you watch that play out and so all of a sudden in your mind it's normal Right. And, it, and it's the heart of God. So talk, talk about uh, how Will and, and the adoption of Will and how that played out. Tell us that story. So, um, you know, when you first get married, you have plans of how it's all going to work, how your family's going to be laid out. And I, th I thought, okay, we'll have three children and then we'll adopt a fourth. That was, you know, my plan. And um, so things were rocking along like I had planned. And I had John Luke and Sadie and they were 20 months apart. And then I thought, okay, we'll have one more, and then we'll adopt. And then I just didn't get pregnant, and I had gotten pregnant really easily with John Lincoln Sadie. And um, so, you know, a year went by, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is it. God, you know, I've said I wanted to adopt, and God said, and so Willie and I talked about it, and so we started just kind of putting the word out there that, you know, we we really think we want to adopt, and this is we feel God leading us to do it now, and all that. And we found out. Um, a friend of ours was teaching childbirth classes at a, at a women's home like that took in mothers who were pregnant to make that decision and that kind of thing. And she said, there's some children that are coming up for adoption and, you know, you should check into it. And we did and um, literally got Will a week later. I mean, it was just a real miracle. And he was five weeks old. He was with the foster family in Baton Rouge. And it was just like that, that. And we have a baby, and it was awesome. I remember Sadie, I took Will to school, and the teacher, one of the, her teachers was, you know, just being funny, and she was, oh, can I have, can I have him? And Sadie said, no, but you can go to Baton Rouge and get one. <laughs> it just seemed like that, it was that easy, you know. <laughs> That's good. So I, I met Will. Let, talk about, uh, does, he, does he have a relationship with his mother? So um, he did not. That was a closed adoption. And um, oh, I should finish telling how Bella came along, though, after Will. So yeah. we, um, we got Will. That was December 15th of 2001 that we got him. And he was just like Christmas miracle. And we we're so blessed. And then January 11th of 2002 was our 10-year um, wedding anniversary. And Willie had planned a surprise trip for me to Cancun, for us to Cancun. And I didn't, I, like, totally surprised. I mean, I probably would not have left my... You know, we had, Will was like five weeks old, but Willie had had it all planned out. Mom was keeping the kids. He literally drove me to the airport and like gave me a note telling me we were going. You know, it was one of those kind of things. And it was just awesome and such a great surprise. And we were only gone for about four days and um, came back. And nine months later, Bella came along. We almost named her Cancun. We thought about it. 
but we thought that might not be a good idea. But um, it was just like the perfect surprise and the perfect just evidence of God's timing to, for him to just kind of close my womb until Will comes into the family and then bless us with Bella. It just felt like, okay, God, like you've got this, like you, you know, you know better than I do. And um, they were 10 months apart. So that was crazy for a little while. We called them Destructo 1 and Destructo 2. Like, one would push the window up and the other would crawl out. It was like, they were just like a pair. It was insane. But um, no, we'll, it was a closed adoption. We did not know. We didn't know anything about um, his birth family except for what, you know, the paper that they had kind of filled out. And um, actually, the really cool thing was in Louisiana, you know, you have to wait like nine months after you have, after you have a child while they do the different home studies and that type of thing before the adoption become final. And Bella was three weeks early, and she came on the day that Will's adoption day was final, his court date. And so I was in the hospital with a brand-new baby, Bella. I had her that morning, and Willie went that afternoon. I think he was, it was like the court time was like 2 o'clock, and he went, and we adopted Will. So he officially got two babies in one day. Wow. Yeah. Corey, you've been around the story of adoption and foster care a little bit. How many times have you heard that story that we decided to adopt and then we found out we were pregnant? All the time. Yeah. It is so clearly evident of hundreds God's of plan. times. I've mm-hmm. literally heard that hundreds of times. I just heard it last week in the guest reception twice, uh, just last Sunday in our church. It's a fascinating story. I, some, one of you who's really smart should study that. And bring me the theology of all of that in and, and, and one page or less and, and, uh, so that I could read it. Now, yeah. So talk about uh, at the race, the, the NASCAR race that we did. Was that last year or two years? Last year. Last mm-hmm. year. Uh, Will sang right. the national anthem, but his birth His mom, birth mother yeah, came, was yes. So the really crazy story about Will. Yes, yeah, Sadie, Sadie can tell a little bit about that because she kind of, we, it just kind of happened in an incredible, crazy way. But um, I, my, my prayer had been from the beginning was that, you know, when, when he met his birth mother, that she would be in a good pay, place, that it would be a great experience, that it would just... So I just started praying for that. I, you know, I talked to other um, adopted adults whenever we adopted Will, and some had had a great experience with their birth mother, and others had had not so good, and I just thought, oh, I just want it to be good when that happens, and so that was my prayer from the beginning, so I'm going to let Sadie tell some of that story of how we found out about Will's birth mother. Okay, so this is crazy. So all these women here, they are just like super chill, super mellow, and as my generation would put it, they have found their chill. I have not quite found my chill, so I still think this is, like, the craziest story ever. And they're like, well, yeah, that's pretty cool, but I'm going to be dramatic and tell it exactly how it happened. So we were, you know, going to our church that we've always gone to, and this little boy comes along, and he looks so much like Will. And so we started calling him Mini Will, and it was Little Will and Big Will, and my brother Will, which was Big Will, he would call Mini Will Mini Me. So Mini-Me and Will became like really good friends, and they were friends for how many years? years. It was a couple of years at church. His name really is Will And his name His name is Will, and he looks exactly like Will, so it was getting a little weird, if you know what I'm saying. Well, fast forward a couple years, and Mini-Me's granddad, like we literally all called him Mini-Me, his grandpa came up to mom and was like, hey, like when is Will, Big Will's, birthday. 
And my mom, you know, told him Will's birthday. And he was like, oh, my gosh. Well, light bulb moment, come to find out, Mini-Me is actually Will's little brother. And his mom, they've just been going to our church, had no idea. She didn't know Will was Will, and they didn't know little Will was Will. And it was like the craziest thing. I'm sitting here, what, what, what? This is crazy. So it was really, really cool. And it was also kind of just a story of redemption because his mom was there for Celebrate Recovery and really just... um, an amazing woman, and she's also a very good singer, and Will sings, and so that was a really cool connection for them to have, and so whenever he sang at the NASCAR race, his mom was able to be there, and she just had tears in her eyes, and it was so cool how God brought them back together using a gift that they both had, and it was really beautiful, and just so crazy. It is crazy. Validate Sadie's drama and clap for that, <laughs> and, and uh, that's incredible. But, and she... That really is how it happened. It was that crazy. But uh, and um, Will's birth mother has just been so kind and respectful, and she was very honoring of us. And um, you know, sends me just nice texts on his birthday, and just says, you know, you're you're the mo- you're his mother, and you're going to lead this in whatever way. And I respect that. And she's just a a great woman, and we just feel really honored. And um, incredible. Yeah. So when when he sang, I asked him. I said, Do you want to invite? her and he was like yeah and he was very excited and we got to stand beside one another while he sang the national anthem and it was definitely like all the tears were coming it was a special moment wow that's so so incredibly cool I, I, several couples in our church have shared with me that they've adopted through dhs uh i don't know if they call it dhs in louisiana or not but the through the department of human services and uh They've also said that the adoption has become about the birth mom in some ways, that they, you know, they're ministering to her and they found her and that they uh, are, are taking care of her. And many times it's a child who had a child and it's an incredible story. Talk about Rowdy for a minute. Talk about how he was introduced to the family because that's a year ago, right? Right. Okay. Uh-huh. So we had not really planned to adopt again. I remember we went to an um, event um, where... Um, called Angel of Adoption that's in Washington, D.C. And um, I remember we were doing interviews about adoption because we speak about adoption a lot because of of Will and Rebecca coming into our family. And um, so um, I remember we were doing an interview and this um, one of the interviewers asked us, you know, do you think you'll adopt again? And Willie said, well, never say never. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, probably never, you know. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) But I did say that, but that was my thought. Um, but then Let I me re- tell you this. Limley, our 10-year-old, 10 years old, right? This is why. She'll be 11 in a couple of weeks. Says to me in the car on the way to school when I take, Dad, we need to adopt another baby. And I know you'll say yes. <laughs> and I know Mom will say no. And, and, uh, and she won't even let us have another dog, Dad. I need you to help in this process. And, and uh, she said, why is that? that mom? I said, because mom does all the work is the reason that she said no. So go ahead. Go ahead. Tell that story. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, um, so, so y'all pray for Meredith. <laughs> so we, um, but I'll never forget that night. Um, one of the great things that this organization does called Congressional Coalition for Adoption Institute. And one of the great things they do is they bring foster youth um, to come be interns in D.C. On, in Congress, and they um, really speak on behalf of 
foster youth and about their experiences and how we could make it easier or better for them. And um, I was talking to a girl, and she was telling me, she was probably 20 years old, and she had aged out of foster care. And um, she started telling me her story and that her brother was in prison, and she was saying how she's just one of the few that has, you know, made it through the system, but her brother was not so lucky in telling me how the, the rate of homelessness and the rate of drugs and early pregnancy and all that of kids who age out of foster care, they don't have, they're turn 18 and they're on their own. They don't have a family. And it was just one of those moments that I remember going like, wow, how do I not realize this happens? You know, like I, I'm, I'm educated on adoption. I'm, I'm passionate about adoption, but it was like I just hadn't really considered these children that become 18 and don't ever find a family. And as she told me, it just broke my heart and came back home and kind of started doing that research and realizing there's like 30,000 kids in America each year that that happens to. And um, just my heart started breaking for that. So I think that was probably God's first putting that little nudge in my heart of like, okay, you're probably going to adopt an older child. And um, a little bit later, I was speaking at an adoption fundraiser, and this lady came up to me in the meet and greet line, and it was just one of these like hands on the, on the you know arms, and it was like, do you know anyone who'll adopt a 12 year old? And I was like, I don't know, you know, but it just felt like she was speaking to my soul, and um, I um, you know called Willie that night, and I was told him this had happened. I was like, what should we do? Should we like ask around? Do you think we could? Should we do it? Could we do it? And he said, why not us? And I said, you're right. And John Luke was getting married, so we're like, we have an extra bedroom. We might as well fill it, you know. And um, it was just kind of like that simple and that that complicated that God just said, you know, this this should be y'all. Let me stop for one second. <laughs> the funny story with this, the day she called me and said, Mom, we're going to get a new child. And he's 12. And I said, Cord, do you realize you left Will at school today and nobody was here to pick him up? <laughs> Fortunately, our children all go to the same Christian school, and so there's always somebody to take care of our kids when we leave them somewhere. But it was just a funny moment. I'm like, okay, keep in mind, you've got others. <laughs> but we're all in, I said. We're all ready. We can do it. So. Yeah, I think he had had a track meet or something, and I forgot about him. And Mom was like, you know, I had to go get Will. Cause... I know. That's good. That helps you, doesn't it? I did it not have you. it all together when I decided to adopt another child. You don't have to have it all together to, to adopt so another child. Tell them the story. When we were at that little restaurant in West Monroe, uh, you and Willie were telling me the story of him in the back seat of the car coming from church, and somebody on social media ha had said something about the black one. Oh, Will. Oh, this is Will. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so when Will was, um, you know, it's like... We had talked about adoption a lot with Will, and he loved to tell his story of how he got him and when he brought him home and, you know, all where he was born. And he loved his whole story of adoption, and he, he had asked about his birth mother, and we had told her her name. And Junior just kind of answered all the questions, but it never really, I guess, said your birth father was black and your birth mother was white and explained what that all looked like because he was young, and you don't really explain, like, you know, the birds and the bees, I guess, when they're little. And so, uh, um, so never really kind of said that and didn't realize we hadn't. And then my, actually my, um, my brother 
children are part Filipino. His wife, his first wife, was Filipino. And so, you know, they're brown too, in a way. And Rebecca is brown and has dark hair. So a lot of people in our family look different, and I never really thought about it. So Will was um, looking on my Instagram one time, and some people said something about him being black. And he was like, he's reading, he was like, said something. He said, like, he's like, I'm, I'm not black. And I said, well, actually, you are. And, <laughs> and he goes, so that's why I'm so tan. <laughs> and I was like, that is really probably a failure as a mom, but it's pretty funny. A failure as a mom that I didn't explain that to him, but it is pretty funny. And, I, and you know, growing up, we'd always, you know, loved how, you know, just bragged on his beautiful tan skin and his curls and how he loved all that, but had never really explained all that. So I, that's probably a mom fail, that's but it, it's kind of Whoever funny. Whoever brought him home from the track meet could explain it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So talk about, talk about uh, Rebecca and her entering the family. You mentioned her a moment ago. Rebecca, you want to tell about how you came into the family? How scared you were when you saw Willie? You can start it first. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we decided um, the kids were little. And, you know, one of the things that I just have always valued growing up, we got to travel a lot. And I've always just really valued traveling and letting the kids see that this world is a lot bigger place than, you know, Western Louisiana or the problems that you have might have right here. And so um, we had four little ones and not a lot of money, so we couldn't really, like, travel with them. So I thought, how about we bring in an exchange student and, you know, we'll all learn Chinese and it'll be so great, which Sadie can rap in Chinese and sing the climb in Chinese, but that's about it. And um, I think the kids can count, but that's about it. But um, so I thought, oh, this will be this, you know, really great experience. So um, we decided to get an exchange student and chose Rebecca, you know, off the Internet, went, read through all the profiles and all that and thought she was so cute. She had this little, like, mullet haircut at the time. And um, she was so cute and, like, so tiny. And um, so we welcomed her into our home. She came to America in what year was that? You were 16. 2004, Bella was like two, and um, we were just so excited, and um, we said, she got off the plane, and we said, do you need to go to the bathroom, and she was like, we thought, oh, no, she doesn't speak English, <laughs> so that was a bit of a challenge at first, um, but we had little ones, so it was good, because I just read to them all every night, and read to her, too, so it was just like having another little one, and the first day of school for her it was like having a kindergarten. I had to pry her fingers off of my arm. She was so scared because she had been with us about a month at the time and had really gotten attached to me, and someone would ask her a question, and she'd look at me to answer, and um, so she'd gotten super attached to me, so that first day of school, like, I dropped off all the kids and dropped her off and, like, pried her off of my arm. We were reading, like, bedtime story with Sadie, and she was second grade, yeah. and I was, like, reading the same great book. Like, I was like, didn't understand anything, and it's kind of like reading to a baby, you know? Mm -hmm. But you should talk about the question on my page. So I feel like it's a God thing that the family picked me because honestly, like, it's just, it was like out of nowhere. Like, and one of the thing on the page that my mom wanting for me was like, it needs to be a Christian family because I grew up Christian in Taiwan, which is pretty rare in Taiwan. And the other thing was my dad passed away whenever I was little. And so one of the things was, like, she wants a family that has a very good dynamic family, has a father and a mom and kids because um, I was a baby in my family. And she wants me to have, like, little siblings and everything. And 
So that was one of the criteria we were looking for, and it matched. Which matched just perfectly, yeah. yeah. As I was reading through, you know, it really is rare to find um, one, and that was the very first line on her mom's letter. It said, she said, I'm a Christian, and um, she went through all of that, and it just, you know, it was like, okay, the perfect fit, fit for our family. Talk about, go, go back to Rowdy for a minute, because there's a story with both of you girls and, and Rowdy that I heard. So Bella was like, Bella and Rowdy are three months apart. And um, so Rowdy took over the position of baby in the family whenever he came. And Bella had been the baby in the family forever. And she really cherished that role of being the baby in the family. As a matter of fact, she let us carry her till she was probably nine. And, um, and, we, and we did. We happily obliged because she was the baby. And then Rowdy comes along and becomes the baby of the family, which um, we didn't, but she's still the baby girl. So he did not take her position because she is still the baby girl. But Bella just was incredible with him. It was just one of those things that I really credit the kids more than me as a mom for him, of the change that I've seen in him over the time that we've had him in the last two years to, to the kids and the way that they have loved him and just helped him along the way. We did not know um, that he was on the autism spectrum when we got him. Um, it was pretty evident, you know, when we got him, it, and, and, but he wasn't diagnosed or anything like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of social skills and things like that that he really um, needed, he really was behind on and, and had really struggled with. And Bella was just so good to him. And she was just always able to just, like, just calm him and do the right thing whenever I, I wouldn't know how to. And there's one story early on that I wanted her to tell, how she, how she kind of calmed him and, and um, made him get over a difficult situation. So one time me and Rowdy were just at home alone and it was just me and Rowdy and um, I had already made dinner and I was like, uh, hey, I'll make some cookies and we can eat cookies. And so I made cookie dough and I put them in the oven and I said, oh, Rowdy, I have to go do homework. I'm setting the alarm and you get them out when the alarm goes off. Make sure you get them out, do not burn them, like make sure they're out. So I went upstairs and then like, 20 minutes later, I still hadn't heard anything, and I was like, hmm. So I walked downstairs, and the cookies were totally burned, like black and like horrible. And I was like, rowdy. And he was like in tears. He was like, I forgot to. I didn't mean to. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And I was like, ready, it's fine. And he was like so upset that he had burnt the cookies. And I was like, it's fine. And rowdy, like, if you tell him something like, that gets him off the subject, he'll be like, totally fine. So and I was like, hey, Rowdy, you're taller than me now. And he was like, what? And then all of a sudden, he was like, totally fine. <laughs> it was in those early days that it was just, everything was a crisis. You know, when Rowdy came to us, it was, I don't wear white shorts, I don't wear sandals, I don't do this, I don't wear a belt, I don't tuck my shirt in, I don't, you know, everything, I don't eat chicken, I don't, you know, he just had that, you know, control of like what he did and didn't do. And it was about everything. Whatever you said, he didn't do that, you know. And um, so it was, and, you know, I think part of that was kind of him trying to control his environment and his world when everything had changed. Can you, I can't even imagine a 12-year-old coming into, he was a, an only child, and um, his, his father passed away. And um, I can't imagine, you know, coming into a family of being the youngest of six from being an only child and um, just, just how difficult that must be. But... Um, 
he, so he really struggled, and it was one of those, like, everything was a crisis or a meltdown or run to the room and slam the door, you know, and Bella just had a way to just say, distract him and be like, oh, you're taller than me. He was like, okay, everything's better, but Sadie has a funny story of early on with Rowdy as well. Yeah, so sometimes I think that it is important to say that whenever you adopt an older kid, and I'm sure some of y'all have realized this, it is hard sometimes, and it is hard just as an adjustment to the family. You're adding somebody else new, and it's hard for them, too. And uh, so it was the very first day that Rowdy was living with us, like, very first. And I was in the room, and I was getting some of my work stuff together, and he said, Sadie, how many books are in that bag? And I said, two. Well, there was actually only one book in the bag. I just thought there was two because from an eyeball. And he goes, you are a liar. I was like whoa because there are two things in our family you do not call people a liar or a cheater and I was like I'm not a liar then he goes well you're not the boss of me Ooh, ooh, boy I was like you are in for a rude awakening and I was like let me just tell you there is going to need a level of respect for your older siblings just like the parents and i was like you can't talk to me like that okay and this is just going to need to be established on day one and so we had like a very serious talk and rowdy told me a year later that he's been scared of me for a year after that i was like i'm really sorry but i had to do something i think she said something like oh yes i am you just don't know it yet Let, let me just say one thing, too, about that Corey has done so well, and uh, is when, when you bring a child into the family like Rowdy, it, it is that pure acceptance from everybody. Uh, we, even grandparents, great-grandparents, it's got to be a whole family thing saying, this kid is part of this family now, and that comes with all the jokes and teasing and, and whatever else. You just act the same with them as if they've always been there, and I, the, one of the funny things on Bella, Rowdy had been there about two weeks, and I said, okay, how's it going with Rowdy? And she said, well, let me just say, sassy and sassier don't mix. <laughs> Because Rowdy, Rowdy, to his credit, jumped in like he had been a part of the family for 12 years. And that, I think, was, I told Corey from the beginning, this is such a blessing that somebody at 12 years old can come in and, and talk a little sassy, you know? <laughs> I mean, you have to understand there's some normality to that, that he was able to do that and just be one of the kids from the very beginning. And now we all, it is strange, but we all do live on the same street, all four Robertson brothers and my mom and me and my husband's sister, my brothers and sisters were all on the same street. And it's so fun to see Rowdy out in the afternoon just running the streets with all the cousins and just thinking how much his life has changed in two years and how much ours has changed for him being a part of our life. That's good. So what, what advice would you give to other people who are considering fostering, consider adopting? I would say that, um, you know, I, I've realized that it isn't for everybody. It is a hard, it is a hard thing to do. And it is something that you need to have that tug on your heart and you need to feel called to do. Um, but I think that a lot of people feel that tug and have a call as I talk to people, you know, across the country and everything. They're like, you know, I've always wanted to, but I'm scared. You know, I hear that a lot, like that fear. And, you know, um, you know, raising our children, I, I tell them, I say, you know, fear is never an excuse. 
Like you can, you can, there can be other reasons you don't do something, but you can't say because you're afraid because you have God living inside you. You have his spirit and his power and he didn't give you a spirit of timidity. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power. And, um, you know, on and on through the scripture, it talks about do not fear for I am with you. And he has gone before you and, and all that. So fear just cannot be an excuse, you know? So I think that, um, if, if you feel that calling, you feel that tug, but fear has been holding you back, know that you have the power of the living God inside of you. So there is absolutely nothing you cannot do. And doesn't mean that it's not hard. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be days where you're going to be like, whoa, God, like, how are we going to get through it? But he gives you, you know, we've, we've noticed he just gives you those glimpses throughout the time, as hard as it was with Rowdy early on. Um, I remember, you know, my prayer was just like, God, just help us to fall in love with him. Help us to just love him. And it was just a prayer because it doesn't necessarily happen naturally. You know, this is a, a child that has totally different experiences, totally different than, than grow, grew up totally different and everything. But it just prayer that God, please help me just us to all just fall in love with him. And he has an aunt um, in Texas that he's still really connected to and loves who, who had him for a while after his dad passed away. And, um, and so he went to visit her one time. And I remember just... All of us, the whole time he was gone, we talked about him. It's like we just kept telling stories about Rowdy. I remember when Rowdy did this and how Rowdy said this and how this. And I looked around and I thought, you know, he has become one of us. Like we miss him. Like we, we, we can't stop talking about him now that he's gone, you know. And then another time, um, we had Rowdy can get really sentimental. And we'd watch the, um, the movie Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors. Have y'all seen that movie? If you haven't, it's so good. And, um, he grew up really poor, and um, he, he told me that he, growing up, he never, his dad never went to the grocery store. They ate, they ate at the gas station. He ate, ate chips and candy. I mean, he literally had four um, root canals the first week we got him. I mean, his teeth were just horrible. He just had not ever brushed. He didn't know how to brush his teeth, and he had really just eaten junk. So food has been a major battle we alternately fight and give up on and then fight and give up on and then fight and give up on but um and just decide it's not worth it but um but he um he we watched that movie and we were walking home and he was getting really sentimental and he but we'd watched it at mom's house and put his head on my shoulder and he said mom I really related to that movie and I said you did I said in what way and he said and he started telling me kind of about his life growing up and he said you know, I've come a long way in the year I've been here, <laughs> and it was so cute, and I said, you have, and he said, physically, spiritually, maturity, I mean, he's just getting, like, really deep, and I was like, wow, Rowdy, you, that, you have, and he said, you know, I was really selfish when I first came, and it was so interesting that he had that introspection, and I think, you know, growing up, even though he had really nothing growing up, but he was an only child, and so he kind of was ran the show, you know, and then he comes into this family being the youngest of six and realize, okay, the world doesn't exactly revolve around me. I have to have to work. I have to learn to share and I have to learn to like, you know, listen to others and I have to learn and all those things you learn in a big family that you don't necessarily learn if someone doesn't really try to teach you, you know, and so just the acknowledgement, I was like, okay, God, thank you, you know, for giving me that in the midst of Sometimes really, really, some really difficult times, those early good. few months. That's good. Anything you two ladies would share just in the way of advice? I've got one little rowdy story that I love. <laughs> when he first came, we were having a family dinner, which we do quite often, and everybody brings something. And I had bought a melon that was absolutely some kind of green South American melon 
was one of the sweetest things that I ever tasted. So Rowdy was beside me in line, and I said, Rowdy, try this melon. It's so good. And he said, I don't eat melon. And I said, well, just try it and see if you like it or not. So he reluctantly, because I was his grandmother, took a bite on a fork and put it in his mouth, and he went, dang, that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Chris, you have anything, any advice that you would share I, I with just, people thinking about? I just, I've just loved watching Corey and the kids and how they reacted to uh, bringing someone in their home, bringing Rowdy in. And, and I love Corey's no-nonsense style of parenting. And I remember at John Luke's wedding, she wanted him to wear something that, that was early. We hadn't had him very long. No, he had not um, this, but like Of course, he said, he said, I don't wear shorts. And Corey said, oh, well, today you do. You know, it was like... <laughs> Yeah, well, you're gonna, you, you'll start now, you know, and, and he did, you know, it's just that taking, taking, just being the parent and being the strong parent, and in that strong parenting gives that security to kids that Rowdy was like, oh, well, okay, I guess I do, and so he wore those shorts, he escorted Mama to the wedding, that was his first big family event and he just was so proud although in the in the family picture that time he looks pretty miserable (laughs) he's standing on the end like this but um but he was smiling in some of the pictures but just that one that we the one that we happened to capture the whole family i had to photoshop his face from another picture on to to send it as a christmas card (laughs) hey guys come here i i want to present them when uh they agreed to come and be with us we didn't think on mother's day that they would agree uh but kind of the deal was i said let's invite all of them maybe they'll come and and so they did but uh, we we wanted to make a donation to their organization called drive adoption uh, today on behalf of you and so would you just tell them thank you for what they do and how they use their influence well thank you so much that's that's awesome that's awesome I thought it was interesting they put my name on the signature of that check, and yet they don't let me sign any checks around here. Uh, and uh, tell these ladies thank you for coming and being a part thank of you, the Sam. day. I do want to say this really, really quickly. Um, so I left a video for our church um, to just kind of say something about Mother's Day, and I let them know that I was coming here, and I just really let them know about your good work. And y'all have been such an inspiration to us. And we're starting an adoption ministry in our church because of you and because of your story and the great example that y'all have been. So I just appreciate y'all and want to thank you for what you're doing. Not just making an impact here in Oklahoma, but it's all over the country as people hear of your work and what you're doing. So thank you. Let me say this. If if you're new to, to one of our churches, let, let me just help you with some real clarity right out of the chute. We're on a mission. And we're not just doing church, and we're not just at church. We're the church at wherever we go. And we are on a mission. And one of the goals uh, around here is the body of Christ coming together, which is one of the reasons we're, we're teaching other churches how to find their niche in orphan care ministry. And one of the things we want to do is break down barriers. And uh, we've talked about it multiple times. We want to break down barriers of race. We want to break down barriers of uh, socioeconomics. We want to break down barriers of denominations between churches and anything else that is dividing churches. 
And, and I think there are a lot of ways to go about that, but I believe with all of my heart that God spoke to my heart when we started this endeavor, that one of the things that would come out of this endeavor of caring for orphans and championing the cause uh, of the fatherless would, was that it would ultimately bring the body of Christ back together that this cause would be something that we could find common ground in and that we would gather around. And when you think about divided churches, listen, I believe that God's heart for orphans is going to cause churches that have been divided to, to come back together and to work together and, and to uh, labor together and to be a part of the kingdom of God together. And, and I believe, you just heard Corey say it, I, I believe that you have started something. You've started something that is bringing unity in our city. And there are groups of pastors that we never are able to get together on any other cause, but on this cause, they come. And they want to participate. And other churches have decided to step up to the plate in our city. And I believe in the future, you're going to see a unity around this cause in the body of Christ because of what you've started. And because of your passion and because of your heart and because of your willingness to be faithful when it comes to God's heart for the orphans. And so you're here today. And as always, you're waiting on the ask. And some of you are sitting here saying, so, Pastor, what are you going to ask me to do today? We have a whole hallway full of children that we're going to match with you when you leave that you're going to take home. And uh, they're going to be yours. I'm just kidding. Okay, that's not the way we're going to do it. The stats I've been given is that there's 9,400 children in the foster care system in the state of Oklahoma. But not all of them need homes, right? Because the goal, obviously, with foster care is to get them back to their family of origin. So to help the parents take care of whatever issue uh, that they had or get help or however that needs to play out so that they can take those children back home. But, but of, of our campuses, the ones that are here in Oklahoma today, all of them are in Tulsa County. A and in Tulsa County, here's what they tell me, that they are 170 foster homes away from meeting the goal of keeping every Tulsa County child in Tulsa County or an adjacent county when a foster care situation arises. And most of them are temporary. And so 170 homes, and here's what that translates to. Out of every 1,400 homes in our city, we need one new foster home. Out of every 1,400 homes in, in our county, we just need one foster care home. And so what I want to say to you today is this is very, very, very doable. And, and our churches alone, we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And, and so I, I want you to consider what is my next step in, in this endeavor. And, and I would just encourage you, if you're married, listen, this is a together thing. One party in the marriage cannot make a decision to foster or adopt. You, you got to get on the same page, and this has got to be something that God does in both of your hearts, and until he does, the timing's not right. But I want you to pray about it, and I want you to think about it, and, and if you are currently fostering, here's a step I want you to consider today. You're already certified. You, you already open up your home, or your home is available to be open to foster care children. I want you to pray about expanding the range of the children that you will accept into your home. And here's why. 
90 plus percent of the children that we cannot put and place into foster care homes, it's because it's a sibling set. And we just hosted an event at our Owasso campus just a few weeks ago on Saturday called the Sibling Day, where, where all of the 1,100 kids in the system in Tulsa were able to come and, and to play with their siblings who they've been separated from and who they can't be with and who they can't hang out with. And just imagine the trauma that they're walking through. If you would expand the range of the, home, of the children that you would take in and you would consider taking in a sibling set, because what happens when siblings are separated is they're not all still in Tulsa because there's a shortage in Tulsa. And so some of them are taken eight or nine counties away. And unless we host that kind of an event, they don't get to see their siblings at all. And so some of you have been praying about this for a long time. Some of you, the Spirit of God has been moving in your heart for a long time. And you know, you know your next step is adoption or foster care. And if that's the case, here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to make the call this week. That you would just say uh, on Monday or Tuesday before I go to bed, I'm going to call DHS uh, or I'm going to call the agency. I'm going to call somebody and start the ball down the field and watch and see what God will do. Just to open the door and I'm going to make the call. We have people at every campus, volunteers, who understand a lot about the systems, who are at tables in the hallways that you can go and ask questions of today before you leave your campus. And so here's what I want to say. If you're not, cons if you're not sure, okay, you're just not sure, you're considering it, you think maybe th this is something I want to want to do, then I want to encourage you to go through... Uh, a TC adopted six-week class community group I'm gonna start them at a couple of campuses here in the next few weeks in fact probably as many times as I've heard somebody the hundreds of you who have adopted and the hundreds of you who have fostered I've also heard from hundreds of people who have said pastor the smartest thing I ever did was to go through that six-week community group to ask questions and through that six-week journey God revealed to me I'm not supposed to foster I'm not supposed to adopt I'm supposed to assist and help those who are either way you, you got to go through the journey the whole point is you listening to God and God speaking to your heart you having clarity for him and so if you don't know your next step would be hey just sign up if you're sure you are supposed to foster or adopt or you don't know I would encourage you go through this little six-week class and if you know I'm not supposed to do this then you are supposed to care and you are supposed to assist and you are supposed to minister and one of the things that uh, one of the ministries that spun out of our church has has uh, championed and created it is called care portal and now we're sharing it with other cities around the country and care portal is a software that is provided to DHS, and when a DHS worker uh, finds a need that is going to, if not met, remove a child from the home, then they have to vet that need. That's on them. They have to vet the need and make sure it is a legitimate need. And when they vet that need and they find out it's a legitimate need, then it is passed into the software called Care Portal, which goes to uh, our ministries here at the church and is then submitted to community group leaders. And 
then we take care of it. And you don't know, maybe if you're not in a community group, that this happens all the time in our church. In fact, our office, uh, David Robbins told me the other day, we meet need after need after need after need after need after need without putting it out to the community group because we have the budget to do it and we have the funds to do it and we have the staff to do it to take care of it. But oftentimes we send it to community group leaders. And if you're in a community group and your, your group is not in Care Portal, you need to harass your leader and say, Pastor said we should be doing Care Portal. And here's how it works. It comes to your phone in the form of an email and it says something like, if this home had a bed they would not have their rights to their children terminated listen if we can solve that the foster care system is on its way to being solved do you understand what I'm saying and, and so if we could just get a bed and some of you have five in your attic if we could just throw that in the back of a pickup truck and get it to that DHS worker for it to be put in their home, those children's rights or those parents' rights to their children are not terminated. And so all the more reason for you to participate in community group because it's how we act as the hands and feet and the body of Christ on a regular basis. And so I want to ask you to pray. In the seat pocket, or in the seat, I think, when you came in, that, that little uh, print piece, I want you to take it and look at it. And here's what we've done. We decided if we're going to pray, let's pray specifically today. So we're not going to pray for the 9,400. I want us as a church to commit today to pray for these five children who, by the way, are available for adoption in Tulsa County. These, the parents' rights have been finally and fully terminated. And these five children need a home. And so here's what I want to ask you to do as a church today. I want to ask you, if you would, right where you are, would you just begin to pray at every campus out loud over these five children? And let's lift up a concert of prayer across these seven campuses today that, that are speaking to the Father, the Father of the fatherless, about these five children. And so take just 60 seconds, 120 seconds, if you would, and just begin praying out loud for these five children. Go ahead. Father, today we lift up Andrew and we pray for a home. We lift up Dashanique and Kiara and Dakota and Shana. And Father, we pray for these five kids, beautiful children who need homes and need somebody to take them in, to foster them and or adopt them. 
And Father, we just pray that you would meet the needs of these five children. You've declared you're the father of the fathers. And we're your bride. And so today we lift them up to you, asking for you to minister, for you to care, for you to lead divinely. The family or families in our church or elsewhere that you've destined to take these kids in. And we pray it'd be a very special blessing, not just to the children, but to those families. And Father, as thousands of men and women across our city and our campuses today are lifting up these five kids, we pray you'd hear these prayers. Your word says where two or three gather, there you are in the midst. And today, thousands and thousands are gathered. And we together lift them up to you and before you and ask for you to show each of us our next step as well and what our part is in the kingdom of God to care for the fathers. And we trust you to do that. And before I say amen today, one of our campuses or all of our campuses, there's probably men and women who are here today who, who you've never trusted Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've not been adopted in, into the family of God. And today he wants to adopt you and he wants to take you in. And so right where you're seated, would you just pray with me? Just out loud, pray with me. You're going to hear men and women praying all around you at every campus. You want to trust Christ and give your life to Jesus, then, then pray with me right where you're seated and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I trust you alone to save me. I receive you, Jesus, and I receive salvation. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say, amen and amen.